another episode of the Growing Faith Podcast. My name's Rick McClatchy. I'm the staff pastor at the Rocky Butte campus of Manor House in Portland, Oregon. We're a multi-site church. We are in the greater Portland metro area, Vancouver, downtown, in Tigard and Beaverton area. And uh, also, we reach all the way down to Eugene, our newly added Eugene campus. So a little shout out to the family down in Eugene. We love you guys. Um, So here we are uh, launching into another episode where we are going to dive into a very important session that was covered at our All Church Leadership Retreat from uh, Gareth Gilpin, who is our executive director over our communications and creative department. Uh, He is uh, an incredible man of God, a dear friend of mine that I just have so much respect and honor for him and his love for Jesus, his passion for the gospel. And so his session actually jumps into the topic of reaching the one. And I want to just ask you to push aside any distractions and just really turn your heart towards uh, this message as I believe there's something really significant for us to take a part of um, today. You know, as uh, a big part of this podcast is in regards to community in groups and pastoral care. This message is right on point for what we need to be hearing in the communities that we are building. So we're going to jump into the beginning of this session. And I just wanted to thank you for being a part today. And I'll pick you up on the other side. In, in all seriousness, there are some things that we really have learned over the last day or two. Right, And if you remember session one yesterday, we took the time, uh, Pastor Mark just so beautifully took the time to lead us through John 15 and to help us to understand our relationship with Jesus. And I hope you caught that, not just intellectually, I hope you caught that in your spirit. Think about it for a moment. God who created everything, God who is truth and is grace, God who is all-knowing and all-powerful, right? He knows who you are. He knows your faults. He knows your flaws. He knows your weaknesses. He knows your failings. And this God comes alongside of us and lifts us up, right? And I hope you caught that, that this is the God that we serve. And I think it was such a, I think it's one of those things that the Lord is building into us as a family and into us as a team, that it's central, core, foundational to everything that we do is Jesus, and what a powerful thought that, that we don't have to struggle and strive in our own strength, but we can come, be vulnerable, be transparent with Jesus, knowing that we're loved, that we're accepted, and knowing that we're so loved that he won't leave us there, right? That he's going to keep work, working with us and transforming us and changing us. And then we moved on to session two, which I thought, man, Mark, you did such an awesome job. And it is just awesome. And you're a gift to our body. And and we are so grateful, the the work the Lord's doing in you, that's coming through you, that's transforming all of us. And we just talked about not just our relationship with God, but then we realized because we have a God who cares for us so deeply, that we have a responsibility to care for one another, right? 
that the same way that Jesus has loved us, we're to love others. And Jesus' love toward us was not in word only, as Mark said, it was in deed, right? That we care, it's love in action, and we care for one another. And so this is what, um, what we're kind of called to. There's session one, this idea of loving God and him loving us. Session two, uh, us loving one another. But in this third session, I want to talk about, I think, what's the third dimension for us. And it's simply this, that if Jesus has loved us, if Jesus has called us to care for and love one another, I think the third dimension for us as a, as a church community and as a family is that we then love and care for those outside of our church. That, that, that we would recognize that Jesus, in loving and caring for us, Jesus in putting us in the family of God to be cared for one another, imperfect people on a journey together, that the next step for us is that we are to then take this heart, take this call, and to care for those outside the walls of our church. And it really is the third dimension as we just, and, and I'm so, I'm always amazed at how the Lord just builds layer upon layer upon layer, aren't you? Yeah. And so we're going to take the time in the next few minutes just to take a look uh, at what does it mean to build a relationship with the world that God has put us in. And, and for us personally, and for me personally, uh, if you remember in, at the advance uh, in January, Pastor Mark did a session on what does it mean for us to have a REACH strategy. And I walked away from that as a you know, I'm department leader and I'm responsible for communications and thinking about these things all the time. And I walked away from it and our team gathered and we've got an amazing core team that's mostly dream team that just are amazing, brilliant people. And we just started to gather and talk about what does it mean for us to have a reach strategy as a communications department? And what we discovered was that as we looked at the time and the energy and the resources that we were putting into uh, what we were called to do as a team, we realized that about 95% of our time, energy and resources was being spent on creating content for internal right. consumption. We didn't even really think about the outsider. We didn't think about the person that was far away from Jesus. And I started, this thing started to just work on me, and I just started to get burdened with this idea that, man, if we as a church are called to reach people, then the department, the ministry, the campus, the place where I serve is equally called to think about how do we reach people. And so I want to challenge us this morning and, and cause us to think maybe a little bit deeper, not just personally, not just organizationally as the big church family, but I want you to listen carefully this morning to the Holy Spirit and, and see what he might say to you about how does the area that I serve in create a reach strategy? How do I go a little bit further? Because it's not just about me loving Jesus. It's not just about me loving the people that are around me here. It's about me having his heart to love those that are beyond the walls of our church. And so it's important for us to think personally, devotionally, spiritually, strategically about how we're going to create a reach strategy. How many of you know, though, that when the Lord, and this is, this is the part where I feel like Paul standing before people going, I came to you in trembling and weakness, you know, because the Lord began to put his finger on my own life. And I had a moment uh, a number of months ago where the Lord really just started to deal with me and say, you believe so deeply, you have such a deep conviction about the gospel, about the transforming power of the gospel. And then he asked me this question, why don't you share it? Why don't you share it? And I remember rationalizing in my brain and going, well, I do. I share it on Sunday if I'm speaking, Lord. <laughs> 
You ever do that with God? And it's like God just kind of clears past that stuff and he keeps going after the heart. And what I began to realize was that it's, it's one thing for me to think strategically, but we're never going to accomplish something strategically until it's inside of us. And I've been on this journey, and I wish, I, I so love when Pastor Mark or Melissa uh, share, and I've had, I don't know about you, but I've had to work through some of that stuff, because when I hear them share, I, I go, that is so awesome, I could never do that. Is it just me? But I've had to process for myself, Lord, how does this become a part of who I am? Because if it's not going to be a part of me, it's not, if it's not a part of me, it's never going to become a part of the ministry, the department the family that I'm a part of. And Mark told us that in January. He said it starts with you. And it's got to be inside of us. And so I'm standing before you today as not someone who's got this figured out. Uh, if I'm honest, I'm probably more of an introvert than I am an extrovert. I'm a thinker. Uh, I don't know that I'm that great with conversation, but the Lord has been taking me on a personal journey. And so I want to share some thoughts this morning that are maybe somewhat personal, but, but strategic and just kind of have us look at this subject of evangelism and reaching lost people from maybe a slightly different angle this morning. And, and it's important for us to recognize that the world in which we live, the America in which we live, is drastically different than what it was just even 40 years ago. This is a different world. Culture has shifted. Culture has changed. And we need to be like the sons of Issachar who understand the times and the seasons, right? So on one hand, yes, it's got to be in my heart. But I say this all the time. I think Christianity is a reasonable religion, right? That we're to use our brains. We're to think. We're to process. We're to understand. We're to use what God has given us. And I think we're to use it to reach lost people. And so it's important for us to spend a little bit of time just kind of considering some of those things. And this is what I love about the Bible. The Bible creates its own relevance. Right? I mean, sometimes we get into these conversations about music and style and this and that. The bottom line is that the Bible creates its own relevance. We have a problem. It's called sin. Right? And regardless of the journey, the path, wherever we go, the Bible has an answer to this problem, doesn't it? And so this is what I love about the Bible, that we can go to the Bible, we can learn from the Bible, and there's lessons that I think Jesus taught us that we can apply to today and today's culture, even though it's changing. And so if you've got your Bibles, would you turn over to uh, Luke chapter 19? And we're just going to take a look at a passage of Scripture uh, that, that, uh, once again, you know it, um, you're leaders, and you've been to Sunday school, and you've probably sung the song, right? Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was Zacchaeus, right? Or was he? Which is, by the way, an Irish song. So I hope you understand that. I'm not suggesting that Zacchaeus was Irish. But maybe. Because he was short and we. Take it easy, Zacchaeus. It'll be all right. And so I want us to just look at this passage. And sometimes, sometimes we have to, we understand that sometimes, you know, we can be so familiar with a story. It's a Sunday school story that we actually miss some things. From the story. And so I just want to take some time to unpack the story and then we're going to look at a couple of things uh, and then we'll pray and just ask the Holy Spirit to help us. So it says this in Luke chapter 19. We're going to read the first 10 verses. It says, He entered Jericho and was passing through. Now, this is so interesting, right? It's Jericho. Now, there's not too many mentions of Jericho in the Gospels, um, but Jesus is he's on his way to Jerusalem and he's entering into and passing through 
Jericho. Right? Jericho, we all know the story, the walls come down. The last time we referenced Jericho, there was a prostitute being saved, and I think it's so interesting that in this story, a tax collector is going to be saved. Right? And so here's Jesus, and I want you to see something. Jesus entered into and passed through, verse 2, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector. And so we're all leaders. We know about chief tax collectors. They're probably the richest man in the city. They're probably the most hated man in the city because they tend to be Jews who defrauded their own nation. To, you know, they got rich on the back of their own nation. And so this guy, while he was rich, he was a traitor and he was hated. But I want you to see something. Jesus entered into and passed through to get to the one. It goes on in verse 3 and it says, And he was seeking to see who Jesus was on account of the crowd. He could not see because he was small in stature. So he ran ahead and climbed up into the sycamore tree to see him. For he was about to pass that way. Verse 5, And then Jesus came to the place and he looked up and said to Zacchaeus, Hurry and come down for I must stay in your house today. So he hurried and he came down and received him joyfully. And when they, saw that, when they saw it, they all grumbled. This is the crowd, the Jews that were gathered there, all grumbled. And, he's, and so he, he has gone in to, the, to be a guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods that I give, I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded any, anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And so what's happening here is that, that Jesus is... There's a crowd and Jesus is going into Jericho, coming through Jericho. There's this crowd following him. There's Zacchaeus is running ahead, can't see. How many of us have tried to kind of get to a place where we can have kind of see Jesus from a safe place, right? And this is what Zacchaeus is doing. He's up in the tree trying to get and look at Jesus. And Jesus passes to that place where Zacchaeus is. And what's so interesting is that Zacchaeus, Jesus in that moment doesn't begin to preach to Zacchaeus in the tree, he calls him down and says, hey, I'm going to spend the night at your house. And, and it's interesting. You've got to understand the cultural background, and we'll touch on this a little bit. But oftentimes what would happen when somebody famous or somebody popular was coming into a city or into a region, oftentimes what they would do is they would send a runner ahead that would say, hey, so-and-so is coming, and he's going to stay at your house tonight. Jesus didn't do that. But it's so interesting that in this moment, Jesus is creating space to be with the one. We don't know what happened. We don't know what the conversation, what conversation went on. We know that, 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 you know, obviously Jesus went and stayed with Zacchaeus that night. So I'm sure they did dinner together. And, you know, maybe Zacchaeus is kind of showing him his toys and his infinity pool that overlooks Jericho. And, you know, and there's a conversation about sports and the, you know, the wave runners that he's been able to purchase with all the money. I don't know. But at some point, the conversation shifted from sports to the heart. And so we don't know the conversation, but we do know the result of the conversation. And it says that Zacchaeus stands up and makes this confession. And it's important for us to understand what that confession is. He's saying, I'm going to give half of all I have to the poor, number one. Number two, if I've defrauded any, anybody, how many people do you think Zacchaeus has defrauded as the chief tax collector? Almost every person in the city. And Zacchaeus says, hey, I'm going to pay back fourfold, four times whatever I've defrauded them of. And what, what he's doing there is he's actually fulfilling Levitical law. 
He's saying, hey, um, I've defrauded this person. Levitical law says I should repay them fourfold, and so I'm going to pay back. What Zacchaeus was doing, having encountered Jesus, having had this one-on-one time with Jesus, having heard his heart, having received Jesus into his home, the response of Zacchaeus was to basically make a vow of poverty for the rest of his life. The richest man on the, in, the, in the city has encountered Jesus and now is no longer his own. He belongs to Jesus, heart, soul, and mind, and it transforms how he lives his life. I'm going to lay my life down for other people, Jesus. And this is, what, this is the effect of Jesus on the life of Zacchaeus. In fact, some people actually believe that Zacchaeus ended up becoming uh, the bishop of Caesarea. The most hated man, the, most, the richest man, the man that's made his money off the backs of all of these people is now going to lay his life down. There was transformation that took place. And it finishes out in verse 9, and it says this, and Jesus said, to the, said this to him. He said, today salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham. He's gone from being the tax collector to you're a son. And then there's this powerful verse that we all know. It says this, For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. This is why he came. And so we recognize that, that as, as we just unpack this story, that Jesus is coming to make a difference. Jesus is passing through the city, passing through the crowds to get to the one. And so for each one of us in here, it's not, this is not a conversation about, and in one sense it is, what, what's the strategy and how do we work all of those kinds of things? But it's also a conversation about what's going on in my own heart. Yeah. Yeah. Am I willing to push past, move beyond the busyness and the distractions to get to the one? Yeah. And for me, it just started about three months ago where the Lord said, I need you to start walking your neighborhood. And because I've been just walking my neighborhood, I've got to meet Greg and Dana and Chuck and Bryce and, and Lindsay, and we're starting to have conversations and we're starting to get to know yeah. each other. But it starts in here. Yeah. Yeah. And so there's some things that I just want to unpack in this, uh, from this verse. And, and the first thing that I want us to see in our, this chapter, but there's a f- first thing I want us to see and understand from this chapter is this, that we're to recognize the spiritual state of natural man. If we're going to reach the lost, we have to understand and recognize the spiritual state of natural man. And uh, how many of you know that in order for there to be good news, there has to be bad news, right? And I love this because Jesus finished this little, these little 10 verses, Jesus finishes with this statement that says that it was Jesus that came to seek and save the lost. Now, lost in that verse right there doesn't mean that God had misplaced humanity. Like, where did I leave them? Are they all in Vegas? Or where where is humanity? That's not what it means, right? What it literally means in this verse is that we are broken beyond repair. So humanity is broken beyond repair. We've got to recognize the spiritual state uh, of mankind. And the spiritual state of mankind, and I know I'm preaching to the audience, but it's important for us to recognize this because culture tells humanity that you're inherently good. When the Bible teaches us the opposite. In fact, there's been some amazing research done on it, at least if you want to put that up. Um, The spiritual state of natural man is to desire to sin and serve self. And that data was collected from the Bible. 
Not, not Walter's version of the Bible. How do you know? That's true. It is. Uh, not yet. Yeah, very good. <laughs> yeah, with ice cream recipes in the back, right? That's it. Anyway, okay. So in order for the, we've got to we've, we've got to recognize the spiritual state of natural man, right? And the spiritual state of natural man is not um, I'm inherently good. It's that I'm I've turned my back on God, right? This is what Ephesians teaches us, right? It says that you were dead in your trespasses. Right, We were, by nature, children of wrath like the rest of mankind. And then I love, this is the good news. Verse 4, it says this, But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love in which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. Verse 8, For by grace, you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is what? A gift from God not the result of works. And so the point that I'm simply trying to make this morning is, and I know I'm preaching to the choir, but the starting point, I think, for conversion is the movement of the Holy Spirit upon the heart and lives of man. Not you and I. Now, we have our part to play, but we have to understand where, what's the state of mankind? What's the condition of their heart? And what's the role of Jesus? What's the role of God in all of this? And then we get to understanding what our role is. So we need to understand man is inherently evil. But God who is good and in spite of our rebellion sent his son, did what he did on the cross so that we could be rescued and made new. And then it says this in Romans chapter, four, or chapter 10, verse 14. And I love this because this is now our part. And how then will they call on him, Jesus, in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? And is it not written that how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of good news? We have a part to play. But we need to make sure that we understand that man is inherently evil, not inherently good. That's what the, the culture would say. Bible paints another picture. How are we rescued from that condition? Through the work of Jesus Christ. He's the one that moves on people's hearts. And I think we have to ask and really answer the question, do we really believe that God goes before us to work in people's hearts? Because if we don't believe that, then I'm going to only operate in my own strength. That's not going to get me anywhere. And so we have to ask and answer the question, do I really believe that God's working? Do I believe that God's working in the people in my neighborhood? Do I believe that the people at the gym or people at the coffee shop that I go to every morning and spend way too much money and time at, right? Do I believe that God's working in their heart? When it comes to even our areas of ministry, do I believe that God is working through whatever ministry God has placed me in to reach people? And honestly, this was a question that we had to ask and answer as a department. Do I believe, do we believe that if we were to set our heart and try to create a strategy and try to go after lost people, that God would actually be going ahead of us to work and to do something? And some of you are maybe familiar with what we did around Easter. We tried something different called What Connects Us. And if you haven't been to the website, you can go to whatconnects.us. And what we discovered was that we as a church had a tendency to speak to people who were church people, right? The people, how many of you know, the people outside of our church, they speak a different language, right? 
And so we, we had a responsibility, we felt, to how do we translate this good news? How do we, and the way we thought about it was, man, we recognized that people in our city were lonely. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. And so we put this little campaign together, What Connects Us, and I, I want to introduce you to Lars. Lars um, moved from Germany to work at Adidas. Makes sense, it's a German company. And he moved to town, and uh, he was lonely. And if you know anything about Portland in particular, as cool as Portland is, and as hip as it is, and everybody wants to move to Portland, one of the things that's sad about Portland is that once you get here, it's very hard to connect. So people feel disconnected. And Lars moved here, and somehow, some way, he stumbled across a story that we featured through What Connects, what connects Us. It was a story about Caleb, and Caleb had come to be a part of our church a number of years ago, uh, goes to our downtown campus, played soccer, I think, it, <clears throat> um, for one of the colleges, and that finished, and the, the, some friends just from church helped him get a job at Nike, and so he's working at Nike, he's a part of our church, he's kind of growing in his faith and growing in the relationship with people within our church. And they found, we, we just featured this little story, it was just a kind of a Humans of New York, three paragraphs, nothing special, nothing unique. But Lars saw it and direct messaged him on Instagram. The two of them now have become best friends. Lars was going to our downtown campus. Caleb, he's a pretty good looking kid, so he also had a number of ladies direct message him and say if they'd like to go on a date. (laughs) Bring him to church. But the question is this, do we really believe that Jesus is going ahead of us to work on our behalf? Because if we're going to do our part, we have to believe that Jesus is already ahead of us doing it. So the first, we got to understand the natural state of man. The second thing we got to do is we got to understand our audience. And this is what I love about, we already kind of talked about this a little bit, but it said in verse, uh, chapter 19, verse 5, it says this, And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw Zacchaeus, hurry down, come, I'm going to stay at your house today. Right? And, and you got to understand that, in, I think I already told you, in this culture, you know, runner goes ahead. And so I don't know if Zacchaeus... Sometimes we spiritualize this kind of thing and think that Zacchaeus was wanting to know who is Jesus. But I wonder in my mind if actually what was going through Zacchaeus' mind is, who does Jesus think he is? Not sending a runner ahead to let me know that, you know, I mean, who's he going to stay with if he's not going to stay with me? I got the affinity pool. I got the, right? And so I wonder in my mind, and maybe, you know, okay, Bible's here, so maybe this is just my kind of creative imagination, okay? But I wonder in my mind if Jesus understood the audience he was going to speak to. And he understood that Zacchaeus, this was a big deal to Zacchaeus. And maybe Zacchaeus is actually in this place where he's just like, I just don't know who this Jesus really is. I mean, who does he think he is? And here comes Jesus, sees him in a tree. And imagine a man who is hated but richest man in the, in the city and probably has an ego. And there's a crowd gathered and Jesus is kind of marching along, disciples maybe playing bouncer. And he sees Zacchaeus up in a tree and he stops and he says, hey Zacchaeus, in front of all these people, why don't you come down? I'm gonna hang out at your house. Is it possible in that moment that a wall came down? Is it possible that Jesus was speaking a language that Zacchaeus understood? I don't know. We'll call it imagination, creativity, whatever. But I think that perhaps Jesus understood his audience. And I think it's important for us to understand our audience because the human experience is to be, and it's part of all of us, 
We're to be, we, we just have this inbuilt, hardwired desire inside, inside each one of us to be cared for, to be loved, to be known. It's why so many of you yesterday when, when Mark was talking were nodding your head and just drinking that stuff in because it's so true. It's so a part of who we are. And so I think it's important for us to understand times and seasons. And we got to understand the people that we're trying to reach. Do you know your neighbors? Do you know the person at the coffee shop? Do you know how they think? Do you know how they feel? Do you know the things that are important to them? Do you know the things that burden them, the dreams that they have? Do we know people? Or are we just friendly? And I think the challenge that the Holy Spirit would put on us as a community is that we've got to work to know the people that we're trying to reach. And, and, and once again, I have to skip through some things, but I, I want to just show you something because we, we took this once again as a department and said, man, we don't even know the people that we're trying to reach. And in the creative world, in the communications world, it's called a muse. When you create a muse where you're trying to understand who are the people that you're trying to communicate so when you go to Best Buy, for example, I'm going to give you some trade secrets here, but Best Buy has a couple of people that they train all their, staff, their sales staff on. And the first one is, is Barry and Jill. And Barry and Jill um, just have more money than time, so just make it really easy for them. They'll buy whatever you need them to buy, and they'll do that, right? And so there's these different muses. People want to be known, cared for, loved. They want to be understood. And so we took some time to try and understand who are we trying to reach, if we're in the Pacific Northwest, who are they? And so a muse is simply a person or a personified force who is the source of inspiration for the creative artist. Now remember, we are, we're building a dream team culture. And so we were trying to make it easy for anybody that would work on a project with our communications department to understand who we're actually building this for. Because it's not just for church people. And, and, and once again, if I can just brag on dream team for a minute, um, this is what I love. We have so many people in our church that are smarter, sharper, have this stuff figured out than we do. And so this was something that actually a dream team built. And I want to, Fed told me four times not to do this. So I'm just going to do it anyway. Fed's right here. Fed worked on it. Chris Creary worked on it. Tony worked on it. Michael Fields worked on it. I mean, it's like, there's a team of people that are just smarter than you and I, right, that can work on this stuff, right? And so we got to find a way to release them to do this. So this is their work, and I think it's so helpful for us. I'm actually going to put this on the Manor House office site so that you guys can see it, but let me just show you what we did. So Hannah has been to church but lost her faith, right? And so let's go to the next slide. And I just want to show you what we did. We actually built out a persona or a muse for who are, who are the people that we're trying to reach, Hannah's been to church. She's lost her faith. She's funny, artistic, organic, crunchy, carefree, right? But I want to draw your attention to this piece right here because, once again, this is just a work in progress for us. We're always going to be adding and transforming and changing. I want to understand what are their wants, right? How do we reach those people? And for us, this is what it meant to put a reach strategy together for our ministry, and for our department. And so we've gone through, we've got five of these. I'll show you just the other four. Um, <clears throat> we won't take time to go through them, but I just want you to, I'll, and I'll make all of these available so that you can be thinking about the people that we're trying to reach. So that when you're writing a sermon, when you're planning Summerfest, when you're doing whatever it is you're doing in your area of ministry, that you have top of mind, not just the people that you see every Sunday, but the people that are outside and maybe you don't understand. 
this is what it means for us to take, build uh, a communications or a, a, a reach strategy. Awesome. Let, me, let me just give you a case study. Let me give you an example. And there's this, uh, Barna has just finished a report, actually just came out in April, I think it was, called Reviving Evangelism. Oh, we'll do this. These are just two questions that we ask ourselves, right? Once again, if I'm trying to reach people, the question is, does, does what we're producing portray community and inclusion? And honestly, every single individual on the planet asks the question, so what? We can put a lot of effort into something, and I'm telling you, every single person on the planet goes, so what? How does that relate to me? So let's take the hard work out of it by thinking for them and making it easy for them to understand the message that we're trying to communicate for them. And so I want to just do a really quick case study. Barna has a, a report that's called Reviving Evangelism. It was a report on how non-Christians perceive Christians and the state of evangelism in America. Real insightful. And uh, I want to just take a case study because one of the statistics that he referenced in the report was simply this, that 59% of millennials, that's 18 to 34, are leaving the church by the age of 30. Do you know your audience? If your audience is 18 to 34, a lot of them are leaving the church, which caused me to go, where are they going? Where are those folks going? And, and there's this report by, um, by Harvard, it was the Divinity School at Harvard that did this, that said that, that how people gather in 2019 is changing. And so they did this study of uh, what was traditionally kind of church values, the, the things that you would typically find in church Things like community, personal transformation, social transformation, purpose finding, creativity, accountability. These were things that in the 1950s you would typically find in church. But what we're finding is the de-churching of America. There's been some 43 million people that have left church in the last 13 years, right? I know this all sounds like bad news, but I think it's insightful. Because if we're going to reach lost people, we've got to know who they are and where they are and how they're thinking. And so how people gather in the 21st century has shifted. It's changed. And what the report says is that where the church used to supply those values or those experiences for humanity, those, many of those experiences now are being co-opted by secular outlets. And so what's happening is that you've got millennials that are choosing not to go to church, but man, they're going to spin class, they're going to uh, yoga, they're going to CrossFit, they're going to uh, dinner groups. I mean, it's, it's so amazing the, the amount of gathering that's happening in our culture. In fact, because we're in Portland, this one was kind of fun for me, is that people are actually gathering at laundromats. Do you know that we have, we have a, we, it's actually not called a laundromat now, it's called a laundry lounge. Yeah. And in Portland, we have a laundry lounge that actually has multiple locations. So it's a multi-site church. <clears throat> And at that, they actually have a bar, a cafe, and neighbors are coming to do laundry together, have a drink together, hang out together, bring their kids into the laundromat, and they're doing life together. How people have gathered has changed. And we got to understand that. We got to understand where are they? How do they think if we're going to reach them? In fact, I love this. I'm just going to read this quote. This is by a lady by the name of Carrie Kelly. She works for an organization called Citizen Well. Uh, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend Citizen Well. It's, its values and what it's doing in our culture is not a good thing. But look at what she said. We're uncovering three needs that are playing out for people that they're not quite conscious of. 
making meaning, finding purpose in one's life. That's playing out clearly on the mat and in spiritual convening places like meditation retreat centers. Two, community, the desire to be in relationship. People are just craving it, often without being able to articulate it. Three, making a difference. People know there's something broken that they're... That, that, um, Something broken there, and that they want to know whether and how they can make a difference. Does that sound like church? I have like 10 other quotes from CrossFit to spin classes where people actually wrote this stuff down, and it's like, man, they're describing church. But how people gather in the 21st century has shifted and changed. And so the question that we have to ask ourselves is simply this. Do we really know the people around us? Where are they? How do they feel? How do they think? We gotta understand that stuff if we're going to be effective in building relationship and reaching them. Okay? Third thing is that, that we've gotta move from proclamation to conversation. Do you notice Jesus with Zacchaeus doesn't preach at the guy in the tree branch? He calls them down, creates a space and a place to have a conversation. And the American church is so good at proclamation, but culture is asking for a conversation. Now, I'm not saying that we don't proclaim the gospel. I'm not saying that we don't preach. Hear me clearly. But I am saying how we go about those things, I think, has to maybe shift and change. Because our culture is asking for a conversation. In fact, culture is asking who or what can be trusted anymore. Who or what can be trusted anymore? Uh, we, we find in society that uh, our society doesn't really trust institutions, but they do trust strangers. Think about it. Airbnb, Uber, GoFundMe, Tinder, right? What is it? They don't trust institutions, but they trust strangers? Well, what, you, what we need to understand is that, that with digital technology, what's happened is a term called personalization, right? Because data is so big and we have all these, you know, just the ability to process data, you can actually feel like you know somebody. And so what they do is they have a name. They post a picture of them. Guess what? There's reviews, whether or not it was a great place to stay with Airbnb or not. And so what's happening in our culture is that there's this massive shift where people are not trusting institutions, they're trusting strangers. Why? Because technology has removed the unknown. I wonder if that's our job as Christians. Is it our job as Christians to remove the unknown? Who is Jesus? What does it mean to be spiritual? Is God really angry? Is it our job as Christians maybe to create space to listen and to have conversation? And in the midst of that, something begins to happen. I, I honestly believe that the answer to culture's question as to who can be trusted is those that will listen. I think those that listen, I think we gain trust. That's true, I believe that. And Barna's report, um, I'll throw up this slide, 
Um, and I'm not going to walk through it. But what's so interesting, non-Christian encounters with Christians. So they asked non-Christians, tell us about your encounters with Christians and which ones were the most encouraging. Do you notice the ones that were most encouraging? Where you created place and space for conversation. That casual one-on-one conversation, that gospel, or sorry, that casual group conversation, right? And as you get down to just a random person on the street, it's not so much an encouraging as a discouraging encounter. And I'm not saying not to do it. I'm just saying we've got to be mindful of the culture in which we live. I love this quote from David Osberger. And he says this, being listened to is so close to being loved that the average person can't tell the difference. Are we listening? Are we creating space for conversation? That's what Jesus did with Zacchaeus. I might not know the details, but I do know the result. And I do know that he spent the evening there. And so are we creating space? Are we listening? In fact, I I actually believe, sometimes we, we look at Jesus and we think of him as a preacher. I actually think Jesus had a conversational ministry. Do you know that Jesus was asked 370 questions? Do you know that Jesus asked 183 questions? And he only directly answered three. That's a pretty powerful thought. That, that f- for, for this person who is the way and the truth and the life has all the answers, he's not proclaiming, and he is in one sense, so don't mishear me, right? But I think Jesus created space to listen, space to relate, space to converse. And in those spaces, Zacchaeus experienced who Jesus was and as a result, listened to the words that he had to say and was transformed and changed. Question, do we create space to listen? Or are we so busy pulling off stuff And I'm talking both personally as well as ministries and campuses and as a community. Are we so busy that we're not creating space to listen, space to converse? And I think if we are, we got to shift a few things to align with where Jesus was at and how Jesus modeled it for us. And so if we're going to be a church that moves from proclamation to conversation, that listening piece I think the next thing we've got to do is we've got to be a friend. We've got to be a friend. And once again, you look at the story of Zacchaeus and Jesus. Uh, Jesus created space, not just to be friendly. How many of you know there's a difference between being friendly and being a friend? And if I'm honest, I think the church in America is really good at being friendly. Welcome home. We're so glad you're here. And by the way, we should be. I'm not knocking it. But I am challenging us to say, hey, there's something more that perhaps we need to take another step. Just as Mark was encouraging us yesterday that we got to take a step toward each other to care for one another. we got to put love into action. Maybe there's something in this whole realm of how we reach people that we've got to take a step beyond being friendly and moving into what does it mean to be a friend. Staggering statistic, 38% of Christians have no non-Christian friends or family members. I'll give you some good news though, 21% of millennials. So the number drops. In other words, more millennials have more non-Christian friends. The sad news is 
Well, that's good news. The sad news is 47% of millennials believe it's wrong to share your faith. We got to get it in here. In fact, Craig Springer, who's uh, Alpha USA, and we're going to be doing some stuff with Alpha here in the next year. He said this, many Christians lag behind their non-Christian peers in the kinds of diverse relationships that are desirable for cultivating a healthy evangelistic culture and opportunities to share Christ. What's more, their relational and conversational skills are somewhat lacking. Ouch. When I read it, it was like, I got to stop. God, I got to process that. Like, where are my non-Christian friends? How good am I at relating? How am I good at creating those spaces to listen and build relationship, to truly be a friend? God, help me to do that. You see, we, we live in an age of algorithms. What I mean by that is that social media tells you or suggests who you should be friends with, right? And, and what happens in our culture that the, all these friend suggestions. And so for as many friends as we have on social media, we are the most disconnected that we've ever been in culture. In fact, listen to this statistic. One in four Americans reports being lonely. Loneliness has now surpassed smoking and obesity for the chief cause of shortening life expectancy. I think that's an opportunity. But are we willing to be friends or just be friendly. I think what Jesus modeled for us was that we were to be friends. I, I think one of the challenges in, in the world in which we live is traditionally, and, and once again, I hope I'm not coming across as knocking, I'm trying to understand where we're at in this moment in time. And I think when we look back at a Christianized culture, right, and by Christianized, I mean not that it's a Christian culture, but it's a culture influenced by the Christian values and morals, right? And so when we look back at a Christian culture, I think the way it worked out was that we meet God, right? So come to church, meet God, you're gonna meet the family, and then you're gonna make some friends. And I think that's significant, and I think that's important, and I think we should keep doing that. But maybe in a post-Christian culture, a culture that's secular and devoid of those morals and those values that would shape uh, thought and culture, maybe we gotta invert the process. Maybe it's about us making friends. They meet the family, and then they come to meet God. I want to introduce you to Tyler. So Tyler is a friend of Chris Crary's, and Tyler met Chris two years ago. Tyler's an art director. He's a photographer. They, made, they met each other on a job and started hanging out. And it started out as being friendly, but being friendly led to being friends. And Chris and, and Tony and, and Tyler have become Really solid, great friends. So much so that actually Tyler has been asking, you know, they, they spend do life together. Yeah, they, Tyler's supported, encouraged, seeks out advice and counsel from Chris. I mean, the relationship has really deepened. But what's so interesting about the journey is that Tyler would never touch church with a 10-foot pole. But he made a friend. It's been two years, and just this last week, Tyler said, hey, you'd mentioned that thing, the Cove, that water sports weekend. Tyler's going to the Cove. Tyler's going to meet the family, right? How many of you know it's just a matter of time before Tyler meets God? Maybe we need to invert the process a little bit. And I'm not saying to throw the other one out. It's a little bit like walking, and we've got to shift weight and keep these things going together. But do we even think about this? We've got to, make, we've got to be friends. So are we friendly, Okay. 
Okay, I got three minutes. Uh, okay, we're gonna do this. <clears throat> the next thing, move from explanation to experience. Move from explanation to experience. And once again, I just wanna point out that Zacchaeus experienced Jesus' presence before he responded to his words. And, and, and in the world in which we live, you know, once again, coming out of a Christianized culture and there's so many beautiful and wonderful things, we have to preach the gospel. Don't mishear me on this. But what I am saying is we have a responsibility, I think, because the life that we have in Jesus is real and it transforms you and my life, right? So shouldn't it transform relationships? Shouldn't it have influence and effect upon other people? And so we need to move from explanation to experience. And one of the things that we understand in culture is that culture is teaching people not to consider Christianity even when life goes wrong, right? And I wanna throw up this chart, right? In a Christianized culture, maybe the 1950s in America, there was Christian thought, Christian values, Christian morals, right? That, that in terms of, you know, I understand I'm, I'm on this journey through life and there's this kind of, you know, sin that I'm st I've stumbled into, the cross of Jesus Christ does what it does for me and that's, way, that's how I get connected to God. But what happens in a culture that's in transition is that culture begins to teach uh, people within that culture that, well, Christianity is just weird, it's untrue, it's irrelevant. And so it casts up obstacles or hindrances, doubts, questions. And now all of a sudden, what seemed like it was easier in the 1950s is getting a little harder in the 70s and the 80s and the 90s. But we gotta understand something about our culture because we might be a culture that's in transition. I think England is probably 15 to 20 years ahead of America in terms of secular culture, right? I don't think it's 15, 20 years ahead of where Portland is or where the Pacific Northwest is. But I think we're moving into or we're in a post-Christian culture. And in a post-Christian culture, we might, we're kind of walking on this top path thinking, man, we gotta figure out how we you know, present evidence and make sure that we're cool and relevant and make sure that, man, we're not coming across as weird and this is truth and all these kinds of things. But John Stott, <clears throat> excuse me, he died in 2011. He's an English theologian. And he said this, he said this about culture. He said that culture is all about, in today's culture, post-Christian culture, is all about tolerance and permissiveness. Which means anything goes and just accept it. Now remember, the bedrock, the, the, the foundation that was laid by culture was that Christianity is weird, Christianity is untrue, Christianity is irrelevant. And so now we live, the people that you and I are trying to reach live in an atmosphere of anything goes, just accept it. Oh, and by the way, Christianity is weird. That stuff's not true. And so we've got to understand, man, how do we... I missed the joke, I'll get it afterwards. <laughs> we gotta, we gotta ask, I think we've gotta ask ourselves the question, how do we influence that kind of culture? Man, how do, where do we go? Now, once again, we lay the foundation. We said, this all starts with what Christ has done. This all starts with the fact that he sent his Holy Spirit, and not only is he working in our hearts, but he's also working in their hearts. But I wanna to suggest to you that, that the DNA of influence is truth plus relationship. Yeah. 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 In the culture in which we live, yeah. really we've talked about listening, we've talked about creating conversation, we've talked about being friends, 
the culture in which we live, I think it's going to take truth plus relationship. And I, I don't know about you, but I find it easier in those relationships with non-Christian people to just continue to be a good friend. I'll be friendly and I'll high five and I'll take care of their lawn when they're gone or whatever. But there's a pain line that you and I have to be willing to cross that says, I'm going to share truth with you because I love you and I believe that Jesus is already working. Now remember, it's their people, not projects. But we've already laid the foundation because we said we're going to walk as friends. We're going to create space to listen, to converse. And there's going to come a point, whether it's a, just a chance encounter with somebody at an airport or a coffee shop or it's your neighbor that you've known for years, there's going to come a point where we've got to cross the pain line. And, and what I'm saying is how do we influence a post-Christian culture? Truth and relationship. Truth without relationship is, is arrogance. I got all the answers and I'm going to, you're going to hear them from me. Relationship without truth, well, that's apathy. We need truth and relationship. Just to summarize it this way, we have to live the truth. We have to tell the truth. That's our responsibility. And so I want to, I want to leave us with some encouragement. Can I have two minutes? Two minutes over. Okay. I want to leave us with just, just some encouragement because, once again, this stuff comes from Barna, but with change, and our culture is changing. It's been changing, and the, the speed at which it's changing is only increasing. But how many of you know we serve a God who's the same yesterday and today and forever? We serve a God who's working in the midst of culture. And some of the things that we see as negatives, God's actually going, I'm just setting it up. And so there's fertile soil. And where there's fertile soil, there's opportunity for harvest. And some of the things that I just want to note is that, that and, and once again, this is in the report, and I was going to put charts and all that kind of stuff, but um, kind of put my Mark Estes on, you know. Um, but it, just some thoughts that I think are really encouraging. Non-Christians like Christians more than they like Christianity. How many of you know that Christianity has a reputation problem in our country? Right? Guess what? They like you more than they like Christianity. Which means that if you'll take the time and the space to create relationship, they're going to get to like you. And you're going to have the opportunity to share something with them that's real, that's transformative, that's going to change them forever. So I think that's encouraging. The second thing is this, that younger non-Christians talk more about spiritual things than older non-Christians. Now, sometimes what they mean when they say spiritual is different than what you and I think means spiritual. But that's an opportunity. And I love kind of Andy Stanley's kind of approach and, and, and in the sense that he says this. He says, you know, this, this idea of building a church where, where people who don't like church might consider coming to church. Well, that's built on the platform of people. They've got to, they've got to encounter those people, Right? And so we've got to be those that are wise, that understand times and seasons, and that engage in conversation because they're wanting to have it and willing to have it. And then the last thing is this, is that loneliness means that people are looking for connection. People are after this. They want this. There's an, there's an eternity in every single human being's heart, whether they know it or not, 
there's something that's driving and drawing them and they're filling it with all kinds of stuff. But we are the answer. Because if they like Christians more than they like Christianity, if younger people are willing to talk about spiritual things more than older people, if loneliness is really the issue that it is in our country, I think God's setting us up. And I think we have an opportunity. And so I think the last question that we really have to ask ourselves is simply this. Are we including non-Christians in our journey through life? Personally, when you think about your area of ministry, are non-Christians even in your thinking? And if they are, are we creating space and time to listen, have conversation? Is your life, my life, our areas of ministry living truth as well as telling truth? Amen? So I'd love just to pray and just to ask the Holy Spirit to help us. So Jesus, we just come before you. We know this is your heart. So we know we're not praying amiss when we simply ask you, Lord, to give us your heart to reach lost people. And so, Jesus, we, we just ask you to do something sovereign. You've been doing it in our hearts, Father God, over the last 24 hours. Lord Jesus, how much you love us and you care for us, that idea of us being in family together and caring for one another. But, Lord, we need your eyes. We need your ears. We need your heart to see, to understand, Lord, to hear the cry of people beyond the walls of our buildings, Lord Jesus, that are in desperate need of you. And so, Lord, we're asking you simply... Would you put your heart in us? Would you cause us to be friends, to listen and create space personally, Lord Jesus, and in our areas of ministry? In Jesus' name, amen. Wow. Well, there you have it. A great, great message uh, from Pastor Gareth Gilpin. Uh, Man, huge thanks to him for the investment of time to prepare that and deliver it. So my prayer is that your heart has been freshly impacted today by the truth from the Word of God that we might surrender our hearts uh, to the Lord and be responsive to the Lord in the areas where He would ask us to make some changes and to make room for others, maybe in some ways that we have never done before. Uh, So just, uh, man, I encourage you to pray through the points that that Gareth went over in this message, and we're just going to be excited to see what God does in our hearts. So uh, thank you so much for being a part of today's episode. As always, you can reach me at rickm at manahouse.church. That is where you can reach me to drop in any suggestions or questions or comments on the programming choices on our podcast. And also, if you have anything that you'd like us to cover in the future, I'd love to hear from you. You can also uh, reach my cohort, Mark Daniels, at markd at manahouse.church. We would love to hear from you. And also, if you could go on to uh, whether you're accessing the podcast through the Apple Podcast Store or through the Play, the Google Play uh, Podcast Store, like it, comment, share, uh, just to get the word out of what we're doing here. And hopefully it is being a blessing in your life. With all of that, I say God bless you and have the most amazing day. Take care.